So look, we've been in a series the last two weeks, and we'll finish up next week uh, uh, talking about am I healthy. It's a good question, am I healthy? And uh, <clears throat> last week, if you uh, were listening in, uh, Dr. Andy Yarborough shared some great things. I know one thing, I got help in two areas with two major things that he said. I'm sitting there watching him, and when he said those things, it was like, you know, like a bomb dropped on me in a good sense. It was like, that is my situation. I understand it now. Just a few words from somebody that knows what they're talking about. Come on now. And I said, I got some help there. So I hope you got some help too. So, you know, uh, to be healthy. Everybody wants to be healthy. We live in a nation where health is a big deal. You know, every time you turn on the TV or the radio, you pick up things. It's all about, you know, juice this, drink that, eat this, do that, go to the gym. And I do all those things, of course. And I'll repent after the service today. But we're very, very health conscious. We're very, very health conscious society. And, and, and God is a very health conscious God. Uh, he's not just interested in your physical health. He, he is a holistic God. He cares about your, your body. He cares about your soul. And He cares about your spirit. He cares about all of you. He's a holistic God. And so we want to look at holistic health. And, and so as we do that, today we're going to talk about healthy relationships. Now, don't turn me off because we have talked a lot about relationships in this church because it's so very, very important. And so we're going we're gonna to look at some aspects of it, uh, you know, talk about what types of relationships. You know, there's different types, isn't there? there there's really four basic types of relationships. There, there's this thing of acquaintances. We all have acquaintances. That's the guy or the gal that you know that you don't really remember their name, but you know they work at Walmart, or, or that's the guy that changed my tire one day at the tire shop, and yeah, you know, kind of a tall guy, kind of, you know, uh, rough looking, you know, that's an acquaintance. You, you might see them every now and then, or you might just see them a couple of times, and that's easy relationship, isn't it? You ain't got nothing involved in that. And then, uh, you know, the acquaintance, then we can move a little bit deeper, and we got this casual relationship. Got a lot of casual relationship. That's the neighbor, you know, three houses down that when y'all put the trash out, you go, hey. You know, I've got a casual relationship with one of my neighbors. Uh, we wave each other, you know, mailbox, hey, Rick, hey, man. It's sort of like, you know, the, the roadrunner, you know. It's, it's a, hey, Fred, hey, this, you know. It's like, hey, I've never been to his house. He's never been to my house. I don't know his wife. I don't know what's going on. We have a casual relationship, so I don't have a lot of trouble keeping a good relationship with Rick. But then we move a little bit deeper, and we get in this thing of, of uh, close relationships. Now, now you, you've got some close relationships right here in this church, and you've got all of those acquaintances. You've got casual. You've got some close relationships. You've been in small groups with people. You kind of know them. They're deeper, you know. And the closer you get to people, the more apt you are to find their flaws and their idiosyncrasies, and it's not hard to begin to pick them apart. You know what I'm saying? And don't look at me like you've never done that before. You've done that before, you know. You might be doing that to me right now. I feel a little picking going on. <laughs> but but it, it takes a little bit more work when you're going to get to these close relationships. It takes a little bit more effort. But then you move into the fourth kind, and that's intimate relationships. Those are the relationships where, you know, you're married to that relationship, or that's your son, your daughter, your mommy, your daddy, grandfather, maybe your, your, your siblings, you know, you, you, you're with them, you know them, you've been in close, intimate relationship with them, and those are the relationships that take the most effort to maintain over a long, 
long, long period of time. Some of you are saying, how long, Lord? How long? These relationships get very, very complicated. They really do. And so, you know, you, you have to ask the question. You have to ask this question, folks. Are my relationships healthy? You have to ask that because relationships make up our life. You have to do that. And so, you know, some are healthy. Maybe you say, well, you know, I've got healthy relationships. Then others are not healthy, but you don't know about them. You just really don't know. You haven't given enough time to, uh, to, to even ask the question. And then some, you know, are in trouble, and you know they're in trouble. You know that. And that's going to take some work and some effort on your time. So we wanted to use out of the Bible today. We wanted to talk about uh, several men in the Bible and uh, their leaders in the Bible. Uh, one is named Paul. One is named John Mark. The other is Silas and Barnabas. You've heard these names. We sing songs about them. And, and they, they are powerful men of God. They, they wrote a lot of the Bible. I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heavens. My goodness, he got revelations that God said you can't even talk about. Uh, they, they wrote books of the Bible. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Just tremendous study in the, in the Gospel of Mark and all these things. And so we look at these people in the Bible and others like Moses and Joshua and Joseph and all that. And we seem to put them on a pedestal because, you know, they're in the Bible and I'm not. And they're great men of God. They've done things. I mean, Paul and Barnabas and these guys actually established the local church. I mean, they pierced the darkness in areas where there never was the name of Jesus. And they did great and mighty works. So we're going to pick up their story in Acts chapter 15 and read some verses of Scripture. Just kind of talk about it for a moment. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, they're just talking, they're hanging out, they knew each other real well. He said, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Basically, they had went around in a missionary journey and established churches, went through a lot of heartache to do that. And now Paul says, I just feel like God would want us to go ahead and visit those. And he's talking to Barnabas, they're having this, this discussion. And, and so it goes on, it says, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So evidently what had happened was that Paul is on this missionary journey. He's got John Mark with him and I'm sure others. And they're going through different places, establishing churches and for some reason or other, John Mark decides that he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And the Bible does not say why he left the missionary journey. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit here. But he did. He left. And evidently, it didn't set well with Paul because Barnabas says, I, I want to take him. But Paul thought, he, he said, I'm not sure I want to do that. And then it says there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a sharp disagreement, but this is not like, like uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas saying, you know, Barnabas says, hey, I think we, I'm going to take Mark. And Paul says, no, nah, I don't think we're going to take him. I don't think we should. Well, what do you think about it? Well, you know, uh, I mean, you know, he had that problem when he left. And, and I don't think it was a discussion like that because the Bible doesn't say that. And the original language doesn't prove out that. It says that they had a sharp, contentious argument. And it would go something like this. Hey, Barnabas, 
I think we need to go visit all the churches we established. Well, you, you for that? He said, oh, I think so. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I think, I think that's the Lord wants us to do that. And look, I like to take Mark, uh, John Mark with me. You know, he's my cousin. I want to take John Mark with me. And Paul said, no, I, I don't think so, man. Don't you remember that they did it? Well, you know, but I mean, hey, look, that was a long time ago, Paul, and, and, and things are different now, and I think we ought to take him. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think we ought to take him, Barnabas. I, I, I just don't trust him. Well, what do you mean you don't trust him? Well, I don't trust him because he left us right in the middle of when we needed him the most. I think he's an immature young man. And he's, what are you talking about, an immature young man? What about you? What makes you so great? You, you're an apostle out of time. You weren't even with us, with Jesus. And then it goes further and further. Sort of like what are your arguments in your house with your spouse or your kids? It starts off about a little trouble at school. And next thing you know, the man is accusing his wife of not being a good mother and not training the kids properly. The biggest fight Janet ever had in 51 years, the largest ever, was over a can of red beans. <laughs> it lasted a week, dude. It was horrible. It had absolutely nothing to do with a can of red beans. That was just the match that lit the fuse that blew the bomb that had been sitting there for a long time. There arose a great, sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. I mean, they, it, they split up, man. These are mighty men of God. These are spiritual men. Men, some of them had been with Jesus who knew things. I mean, they great experiences, but yet they separated. And here we go. You know what happened? Barnabas, he took Mark with him. And you know where they went? They went to Cyprus, spread the gospel. They went and did the work of the ministry. And Paul chose Silas, and they departed. They were commanded by the council in Jerusalem to go do this thing. And so they went, and, and that's where it ends as far as we know now. So what's important here for us to get out of this scripture is, folks, that you have to understand and you have to embrace the fact that no one is exempt from conflict in relationships. No one. And more than likely, if you would say, well, I've never had a conflict, you're probably either blind to what's going on or you're a liar. Because if you, matter of fact, more than likely, even if you go live, you know, in a monastery all by yourself, locked in one room with a piece of bread, you're probably going to have conflict in there with yourself. You interact with people. There are going to be situations. Now, we should note that the, the Bible's silent about what happened with John Mark, but let me throw out a few things that maybe did happen. Maybe it was that John Mark was an immature young man and couldn't take the heat of a missionary journey. Look, this is not talking about getting on a jet plane and flying over to Mexico for two days and talking in a little church there. This was hard, hard physical and spiritual labor. And maybe he just decided, I can't handle this, had to go back. Or maybe it was that Paul was so zealous, I mean, absolutely knocked down on the road to Damascus, blinded, and then, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and all these kind of things. And maybe he was so zealous and so powerful in his personality that John Mark just couldn't hang with that. That could happen. It could have been that uh, there was a legitimate reason for Mark leaving. Maybe Paul didn't know about it or didn't understand why. Maybe you, you, who could know? We don't know. But, but, you know, and, you know, 
Maybe it could be that Barnabas felt from, from Mark and sided with Mark on the journey. You know, he's my little cousin. I've been knowing him for a long time. And Paul, he might just be a little bit tough on the young man. It could be all these. And don't, don't these sound familiar in our relationships? Don't they? They do. They sound exactly. I was right. This thing sounds just like me. Because it gets complicated. It gets so complicated. You ever get in a situation where it gets bad and you wonder how it ever got that bad? What how did, how did we get here? So let's talk about some problems in healthy relationships and forming them. And then we're going to talk about some things that we can do and know that are going to help us form some. First, sin nature. Folks, sin is a big problem. Sin is still a big problem. Jesus died for our sins. Sin is still a big problem. You know, in the Garden of Eden, you've heard a lot about that. We talk a lot about it. You know why we talk a lot about the garden, how we constantly, some of you are probably saying, I wish they'd quit talking about the garden. But, but we have to because it's the premise of everything that's going on. God created everything in the, in the garden, in the world, and he said, it is good. Shalom. It is whole. It is right. And then you know the story that Adam and Eve sinned as they listened to the devil. They ate of the wrong tree that God said, don't do it. And then they were separated from God. It burst the relationship between them and God, between them and each other, ultimately between their kids. The first murder took place there. And it is, it, uh, uh, this is what happened. When Adam and Eve fell, all of creation fell. Everything, every bird, every bug, everything just slid and that's what we're living in right now, a fallen creation. That's why Romans says everything in creation is yearning and moaning, awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. And we too in this body are doing the same thing, awaiting for the resurrection. There is a moaning that's going on because sin causes us to fall. Sin is a problem. Sin has to be dealt with. And when sin is removed from most relationships, we're on a, a good path to reconciliation and help. Sin is a problem. Another thing that is a problem is familiarity. Familiarity. You know, you, some of you old-timers will remember this song. Remember the song, you always hurt the one you love, the one you didn't mean to hurt at all? Isn't it amazing that you can say things to people that are very, very intimate and close to you that you wouldn't say to somebody else? Sometimes Jan tells me, she says, would you say that to another woman in the church? Might ask you the same question. Somehow or another, we feel like familiarity gives us license to do and say things when it really doesn't. We get so close to things, you know, it's just, oh, it's just you, the same old thing. Look, Jan, I've been married 51 years. I'm going to tell you there's a bunch of same old things. <laughs> You've been married about a week. You already know that there's some of those same old things. You say, well, sooner or later, after a year of marriage, we're going to iron all that out. Well, go ahead. You better turn the iron on hot. I mean, the hottest to iron them out. Another, you know, familiarity. Look, we're all familiar with intimate relationships. I know everything about you. I know all your shortcomings. I know all these problems you have. 
And that time, that leads to offense and hurt. Now, offense and hurt are two different things, but we don't have time today to go into all that. Let's just say, let's put them together for today. Because sometimes I'm offended, but sometimes I'm really hurt. And hurt hurts more than offense to me. Just my opinion. This thing of offense. We're living in a society now, folks, that people are so offended so easily, it is astonishing to me. It's like everybody's got all their feelings on their shoulder. I mean, just like one, one wrong word, one little mistake, a, a, an adjective, just a, a punctuation. One, 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 one tiny. Shouldn't be that way in the church. You know that? Relationships are being destroyed over things. And we gotta, we, we've got to be like, we've got to be a cut above what's going on in the world, folks. And you've got to work at this. This is not going to come natural to you. We're naturally mean and opinionated. And you've got to avoid taking up some else's, somebody else's offense. You know, be careful of that. That your friend there sitting by you gets corrected by the pastor or somebody or something or anything. And they come and they tell you their side of the story. Not the other side, just their side. Never the other side, just their side. And then you say, well, that guy's just a rat. I can't believe he did that to you. And then all of a sudden now you're at odds with that man. You took up an offense. That happens all the time. Wow. Taking up offenses. We're just skipping rocks. Like one man said, I'm going to jump the rabbit, you got to run it. And then there's blame shifting. Oh, my goodness. Adam and Eve were perfect at it. They started it. It's still happening today. Adam said, you know what, if you, God, he blamed God. If you wouldn't give me that woman, he blamed the woman. And then the woman blamed the devil. And everybody's blaming everybody. And as long as I blame shift, as long as I can shift the blame, it makes me feel good for a while, but it doesn't help anything. It's your fault. If they wouldn't have, if you only would, if you were a better husband, I'd be a better wife. Those, you understand. Shifting the blame. If my daddy would have treated me right, I'd be a better man. And then lastly, just, these are just problems. There's, there's so many. We could spend all day. This thing of self-preservation. The defense mechanisms that we we have in line the, 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 the thing. And this is when, when, when Andy said this last Sunday about me. I, I was there. I think he must know me. He said it exactly to me. This is one of the things. This thing of, of preserving self. You know, I will say this as a pastor sometimes. You just, sometimes you're just in defense mode. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, you're just trying to do right. You do wrong. You know, you thought it was the right thing. It wasn't the right thing. Or, or it was right for that person, but this person, it ain't right for that person. You prayed too long. You didn't pray long enough. There, there's not, no more of the Spirit, not enough of the Spirit. The music is this, and I wish we had that. And what about this? And you try, and you, you know. And so you put in this self-defense mode. It's like, I'll just stay away. The professionals gave three words to it. They said, you're either going to stop and fight are you going to freeze or are you going to take flight? And I can say to them, I have done all three of those. <laughs> when I was younger, it was fight. I'd fight everybody all the time, anything, come on, you come at me. And then as I got old, I started to freeze sometimes. I still fight a little bit, but then I'd freeze. 
And now that I'm older, sometimes I fight a little bit, sometimes I freeze, but a lot of times I just flee, take flight. I'm not saying it's healthy, I'm just saying it's those things that we have, to, we have to deal with. And some of you in your relationships, you're frozen, your marriage is frozen. Enough of that. How about how do we work towards healthy relationships? How is this, how is this going to work? And by the way, this is for the young and this is for the oldest person in here. Because somebody knows that we feel like when we get older, we get a pass on things. You ever know, you know, like when I get to be 85, I'm going to say what I want to say and do what I, I don't care. Whatever you say. You know. I'm going to be as mean as I want to be, you know. Age doesn't give us a right to be ungodly. So how do we cultivate healthy relationships? First, grace and mercy. Now, I'm going to hit some of these very, very quickly, and you just, have to, you just have to grab hold of the one that means something to you. But grace and mercy, grace and mercy, if you receive grace and mercy, you want to give grace and mercy. It's so simple. It's not complicated. God forgave you, gave you mercy. His mercy triumphed over the judgment that he could have put on your life. And so now you, in turn, should show grace and mercy. It's a shortcut to, to helping in, in troubled relationships. It's a shortcut to building firm relationships. And that is, I'm going to extend a lot of mercy. Why is it? You, you know why we don't want to extend mercy? Because we feel like if we extend mercy, we're condoning behavior. So we judge instead of show mercy. That's what we do. All of a sudden, we take the place of God because, you know, if I show mercy, it's going to look like I'm saying what they did is okay or what they're doing is okay. You know, you know what I mean? And if I'm going to give any kind of grace, then I'm condoning. And no, you're not necessarily condoning. You've got to give grace. You've got to give mercy. I had been hurt real bad several years ago. Real bad. I mean, like the worst in my whole life. And I couldn't get over it. I just could not, I couldn't get over it until God helped me. And I mean that. I mean God did something supernatural that got me over it. And when he showed me what he showed me one night, I was able to extend grace and mercy. And folks, I'm going to tell you, almost instantly it was resolved. To where the next time I saw the person, everything was totally different. Nothing had changed from what had happened, but something changed in me. And ultimately, because something changed in me, because grace and mercy was given me, then I extended that grace and mercy, and it healed the relationship. It's just a wonderful thing. Life is better than it was when we were in that mess. I believe it's conflict resolution, number two. I believe, you know, to be biblically healthy doesn't mean that life is void of conflicts, but it means that we have to start working at conflict resolution. The Bible says that we're to be at peace with all people and with everything that's in us, everything that's possible. In other words, put forth the greatest effort to be at peace with people. Because watch this, when you're at peace with people, you're at peace with yourself. Be at peace with people. How about this? In the conflict, take ownership. Man, if it's yours, it's yours. Take it. Don't try to put it off on somebody else. Just take it. You know what's, you know what's some of the greatest words in a marriage you can say? Oh, I'm going to help you out. If you'll say this today, probably some of you need to go home and say it. Say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You're right. You're absolutely right. I hate to say that. I hate to tell somebody else they're right when I'm wrong. Don't you? Mike, you have raised up a holy church here because everybody's like, not me. 
say something else. You're not hitting on, you know, you're not knocking on my door. But, it, but, but it's true. Saying I'm sorry is the quickest way to reconcile a conflict. Taking ownership, using wisdom and communication. And by the way, if you can't get it done by yourself, you need to get a third party involved. Because a third party is so wonderful. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, many times a third party, people think that I'm so wise. But really, it's not that much of wisdom. It's objectivity. I'm not in the fight. I'm not in the tussle. I'm not in the dust. I'm over here. Oh, I see. And then you just share. A third party is astonishing. That's why when, when, when Dr. Andy was talking Sunday, I'm like, my goodness, I think he's resolving some conflict in my life. And he doesn't even know me hardly. A third party always sees better. Some people don't want the third party because they're winning. <laughs> they're winning. Be honest. Next, seek reconciliation. Intentionally reconcile. Some of you remember when we used to reconcile our bank statements? Some of you might still do that. The bank is like they know everything. I reconcile bank statements for years. I mean, stacks of check this tall. I'm not exaggerating. And in all those years, not one mistake from the bank, not one. Many mistakes from my end, but the bank, none. Well, when we go to reconcile relationships, Jesus is the bank. The Word of God is the bank. It really is. Folks, we have nothing more to offer you than the Word of God. That's what you reconcile to. Not my feelings, not what you did, not what you said, not who I am, not where I come from, but what does Jesus say? What does the Word of God say? And we start reconciling. If both people reconcile to the Word of God, you will be astonished at the reconciliation in your relationship. Now, grant you, I will say this, that it's nearly impossible to reconcile a relationship when one party refuses. Years ago, I did something wrong to somebody. I handled a situation improperly. And I, I know that, well, I handled it wrong. It's about 15 years ago. And just recently, the Lord said, you know, you need to go ahead and you need to reach out and see if you can heal this thing here. So I'm in the process of doing that right now, reaching out, communicating to the person who will not communicate back to me. And they may never communicate back to me. But I'm going to do everything in my power to at least reconcile my side of the ledger. I may not be able to change what happened, but I can be obedient to God in what He's telling me to do. So, so very important. Seek re reconciliation. And then the, 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 the last thing here, or nearly the last thing, is this thing of forgiveness. Now, now folks, listen. When all else fails, forgive. When everything fails, and you've tried everything, forgive. Just go ahead and do that. Because if you don't forgive, you're going to find yourself in an attitude of revenge. You're going to get even. Outwardly or inwardly, you're going to seek to get even. You're going to say things, do things, share things. And by the way, can I help you? When you've got a conflict with an individual, don't post an ambiguous post on Facebook about it 
trying somehow to hope that that person reads the negativity that you've put on Facebook, and somehow or another they're going to say, praise God, I feel like we should reconcile this because it's on Facebook now. And all your other friends read the post like, I wonder what that's about. That's it. That's what I do. It's like, whoa. Don't you do that? It's like, whoo, she's upset at somebody. Problem is the person doesn't even have a smartphone. They're still doing the flip phone, and they're not getting that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process, and sometimes it's a very, 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 very long process. Forgiveness takes effort, and sometimes it takes a lot of effort. How about this? Real forgiveness requires supernatural help from the Holy Spirit. That's why if you're in bitterness, you're not getting help from God. You got to break that thing. Humble yourself. Ask for help. He's the helper. He comes. He helps. Some offenses are very, very easy to overcome. I can't believe that teacher in the, in the NC Kids uh, fussed at my kid. I'm upset at that. Oh, I'm so mad. Oh, well, I'm not mad anymore. Okay. My kid is, I know my kid. That, that's, that's such easy things to get over. But man, when it's those things that wound your heart, that go deep, deep inside, sometimes it takes a long process. That's why freedom groups are so important. Man, if you're struggling with something like this, maybe your daddy did something, or whatever the case might be, way back, whatever, and you struggle with this thing, and it's affecting your life, I just encourage you to get in a freedom group and seek the Holy Spirit. He will help you and meet you where you are, and He will heal you when you thought there was absolutely no way to be healed. God is supernatural, and He does supernatural things in the hearts and lives of people today, yesterday, and forevermore. This is a supernatural thing we're in here. This is not some natural thing. We're not, we're not feeding you just some emotional, you know, soul food. This is supernatural power from God that changes things. You see, something happened. I go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. Paul is now in a dungeon jail facing execution. There's years have passed since they got in their riff over John Mark. And watch what he says in the 4th chapter 11th verse. Luke alone is with me. I'm by myself. Get Mark, John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. There's a reconciliation took place here. Years ago it was, I don't want him, he's not coming with us, and now it's, please bring him. He only asked him to bring a few things, bring my cloak, bring a parchment, bring this book, bring this pen, do this, but bring Mark. Somehow or another, it worked out. Maybe Mark matured. Maybe, Mark, maybe Barnabas did a great job in, in helping his cousin, you know, get right. Maybe Paul, in his maturity, piped down a little bit from his zeal. Who knows what happened? But all I know is something happened that caused these two people to heal a relationship. I suppose Paul forgave Mark for leaving that trip. I read a story years ago, and I reread it this past week because I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this with you, by a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom, and a lot of you know her. She's written books. There's movies about her and things of this nature. 
I had shared this story once before, but I read it further in depth and found a few other nuggets about it. Her and her sister both were put into a Nazi camp, concentration camp during World War II. And we can't even begin to imagine how deplorable the situation was. Your worst day, your worst day is better than their best day. You read about it, just the atrocities, horrible. Her sister died in the concentration camp in the hands of cruel, cruel men and women. The war ended. She was liberated. She began to preach the gospel. She said the Lord just impressed on her to go back to Germany to preach the gospel to help heal a broken nation. She found herself in a small church house, and she preached a message on forgiveness. And after it was over, she noticed a man in the back of the church, and she realized that he was one of the guards that really, really abused them in that camp. She recognized him. He did not recognize her. But in her message, she referenced the concentration camp that her and her sister were, were in. And because of that, he knew that he was a guard there and she was there, so somehow they might have had some kind of interaction. And so as he began to walk to, to see her, she says, I was having flashbacks. I would see him in his gray suit with his felt hat, and then next thing you know, I'd see him in his Nazi uniform with that leather beak on that cap. And so it was like flash, on and off, on and off. And finally, he came up to her, and he began to speak to her. And he said, I realize you just said that you're in the concentration camp, that I was part of it. And I wanted to let you know that I have been forgiven of the atrocities that I committed against innocent people. The Lord has forgiven me. I'm a Christian now. My first account of reading the story, that account wasn't in there, so I went deeper, and there it was. And then she says what he did next began to test everything she knew about her relationship with God because he reached his hand out and he said, God has forgiven me. Will you forgive me? And just like we think about Paul and Barnabas and Moses and Joshua, sure, no problem, you're forgiven by this wonderful woman of God. But instead she says, I just stood there. She froze. She said, the turmoil within me, knowing that I had just ministered to these people about forgiveness, can you imagine? And now instantly I'm tested in will I obey what I have just shared. So she said this, and, and I, I use this all the time because it's so real, folks. We have to get out of our charismatic cloud of staying two words and everything is okay. She said, so I mechanically raised my hand. Mechanically means she, she didn't know, didn't want to, had turmoil, just, you know, you know how it is when you meet that person that has abused you, you turn the corner in the aisle at Walmart and there they are. You know all what goes on inside of you. She said, but when I grabbed his hand, and I quote her, she said, the love of God flowed through me in a supernatural way. There it is, supernatural way.
And she said, I forgive you. Now you say, boy, that really set him free because she forgave him. And I'm sure it did. But even more so than that, it set her free. Wow. You see, folks, the gospel is the absolutely only hope we have for eternal life all the way down to healing earthly relationships. There's no tricks. There's no three quick steps. There is an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do things that otherwise are impossible for you to do. Where do we get off that just because we know Jesus, we are the ones who do it? No. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you shall ask anything you want and it shall be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. That's how she overcame. That's how she reconciled. That's how she saw a difference. And that's how you're going to do it. There's going to be healed relationships here. Now I end with this one verse. Matthew chapter 6 verse 15, Jesus is speaking to you. Right now, you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're not going to wiggle out of this one. This is going to be the word that we spring off of as we end this. Here it is. If you've got relationships with people right now that are broken and you are struggling with forgiveness is the massive thing showing mercy and grace and releasing you don't have to leave this room without addressing that and without partnering with the Holy Spirit to get you on the road to recovery. Now watch this. You say, well, I'm all right. I know. I know. The wonderful thing is, <laughs> if you look at it that way, that you're either coming out of something like this or you're right in the middle of something like this or before this week or month or years out, you'll probably be going into that. So you want to rejoice that you came out of it? Today would be a day where you would say, praise God. Yes, Pastor Van, absolutely. The Lord is faithful and he has helped me tremendously. Or you're right in the middle of it and say, my God, I see now that I need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in my life so that I can overcome. Or be wise and say, Lord, I want to thank you that right now my life is on even keel, but I receive this word. And when the time comes where these things begin to knock at my door, I'm going to be ready to address them in the proper way. Amen? So come on, I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to bow my head because I want you to examine your, your life instantly right now. You know, just like, just like bam, bam, bam. You know right now th those things are being put before you right there, right now, right now, right now. And I'm going to lead you and at the same time, 
we're going to the Father and ask Him to begin the resolution, the reconciliation, the forgiveness. We want the gospel to work. Father, in the name of Jesus. We're asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to begin a deep work in every individual in this room, to form healthy relationships. And Lord, in order to do that, we've got to get certain things out of our life. Father, would you start the process right now in a deeper way than ever before? Lord God, would you show us the power of your spirit, the truth of your word, and Lord God, may we see physical evidence of things turning around. As we reach out to the one that we've hurt or hurt us, Lord God, before we come to an altar and want to offer a sacrifice of prayer or praise, and we know that someone has something against us, we're to leave the altar according to your word and go and be reconciled to that individual. Help us, Lord God, to have healthy relationships that we might be healthy starting today, Father. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and now some of you in this room right now, I will not be amiss and leave the service without offering you the opportunity to receive Jesus because He is the one that brings the power. So if you're in here right now and you're not living for God and you, know, you don't even know what that means, maybe maybe saying, Pastor, I don't even know what that means, but I know that there's something not right in me. Let's pray together for just a few moments. It doesn't take much. If you open up your heart, God sees that before we ever speak a word. But just say something like this. Say, Father in heaven, I don't know you, but I want to. I'm lost. I'm undone. I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't feel anything, but I just know that something's missing in my life, and I ask you to forgive me. God, come live in me. Come change me and come give me direction for my life. Show me, Father, the way of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. I thank you for that. Go ahead, just thank you. Just look, just simple. I thank you for hearing me and answering me today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen and amen.